Good morning. God bless you guys for being here today, not forsaking the assembly of the saints together. It's always good to be in the house of the Lord, to hear his word, to worship him, to sing, to pray, um, to greet one another and love one another, demonstrate that we are the people of God, that we've come here to worship him. We've come here to love him through our worship, to give our lives again, to be reminded of how great he is, how good he is. So this morning, we've reached the third week, the third week in our process of the series that we're in, because we believe. And I want you to notice something. This morning, I'm preaching on nine words, these nine words that are, and in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Chad has spent the last two weeks speaking about, I believe, and God the Father, and him being almighty creator of heaven and earth. And today, I I begin a series that five weeks from now will continue with the focus being on Jesus Christ, beginning here at the bottom of this board, as you can see, and then all of this board is about Christ, his work, his fantastic life, his amazing life, and all of this board is about Christ. And so what we can conclude from that is when they devised this marvelous creed 1,700 years ago, and they were trying to put into compact form what can be said about our faith, what do we really believe, what is it that we hold dear, essential, this 69 words about Jesus out of 109 words. So you know how that factors in. Here's all what we essentially believe. If you believe this, you're part of the family of God that for centuries upon centuries have been the greatest nation in the world. The ones who have healed the most people, have cared about the brokenhearted, have gone to the ends of the world to to rescue people, to provide for the orphans, to provide for the poor, to love on them, just as it's going on today. Through the body of Christ today, Jesus Christ is healing people. Through the body of Christ today, Jesus Christ is feeding people. Through his spirit, he's delivering people from darkness into the kingdom of his son. Today in the world, Jesus is healing and delivering and saving. Today is another glorious day of salvation in the world. Today, hundreds of people will come to Christ and say, I surrender to you. You are my God. By the time we finish this little talk today, I'm hoping that when you stand to worship in a few minutes, you will worship out of a relationship, that you will sing to this God, this great and good God, out of knowing him, because it's really easy to say this. I said it hundreds and thousands of times and spending 20 years in the Catholic Church, 20 years as a Roman Catholic kid, young adult, hundreds and hundreds of times. And as many people like to describe it, it was blah, 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 blah. They were words, but they were not living words. But these are the essentials. If you belong to Christ, if you're part of the body of Christ, these are the essentials. You can't miss any of them. And so the next five weeks following today, pastors will come and preach and teach on these things about Jesus Christ. He is the center of Christianity. And of course, he is always under attack by the darkness. That's why all the cults will knock on your door and talk to you about Jesus, but they'll talk to you about a false Jesus. They'll talk to you about him being this or that, but not Lord Almighty. He's not the God of the Old Testament. He was a created being, or he's a celestial being, or he's an angel, or he's this or he's that. But they will not allow Jesus to stay on the throne 
Because Satan, who's behind the false teaching, has always tried to dethrone Christ. That's how he got thrown out of heaven. That's how he became a demon. Because his pride rode up so high that he thought he could dethrone the living God in heaven. And that's one of the reasons why the demons tremble when they see the, the human being, the human Jesus, when he walks on the earth, they know who he is. Because they saw him before. They saw him there. And he was on the earth. And they trembled in fear for themselves because they know their destiny. They know where they're going. They know where their permanent residence is going to be. And they would cry out when they saw him. So my job today is to take scripture and really, really concentrate on scripture. I hope you have a pen. I hope you have a Bible. I hope you have an app. But I hope you have a means by which you will sink into these words that the scriptures have given to us. They wrote the gospels, right? The men who saw Jesus wrote the gospels. They wrote the details of his life. They recorded his words. By the work of the Holy Spirit, we have these words in the scriptures. And these are what we're going to use to understand how did they come to these conclusions about Jesus? How did they come to these factual, hard facts, right? You see, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in him, and I, I believe in his only son, Jesus Christ, my Lord. He's my Lord, and I'm hoping today he's yours. I'm hoping today, if you have not embraced him that way, that you will embrace him. And that if you're here kind of wondering or seeking, you're in the right place because he's calling you. You wouldn't be here with us. If he did not intend for you to hear this, he's calling you and he's worthy to be served and worthy to surrender to. I'm so glad you guys are here. I'd be talking to an empty room if you weren't here. <laughs> Let's look at a scripture together. Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Paul, great, great pastor and missionary. He hears about a, a church under attack. The attack is Colossae. And what he hears is that there's a mystic who has arrived in the church and he's brought about this false teaching and he's bringing it in. He's saying that Jesus was an angel. He's part of the hierarchy of angels. Very, very common in the pagan world. Very common that they believed in angels of all kinds, spirits of all kinds, right? Well, Paul, when he hears this stuff, he, he decides to write a letter. Poor Paul, of course, is sitting in Rome. He's a prisoner, but he writes this letter. Now, some scriptures, you guys, you read them and you go, I got nothing from that. I got nothing from that. And I can understand that there's poetry in here. I can understand that there's history in here. I can understand there's the law in here. I can understand there's many things in here. But there are places in the Bible, you guys, that they should be highlighted. They should be underlined. They need to be looked at. In fact, maybe there's places in the Bible where you need to read them and drop your tears on them. Because if you really, really read this word, it's alive. And it'll touch your heart. Now, if the Bible's been dusty for you, I challenge you as a pastor, please get back to the word of God. Please read the scriptures. Please worship God through his word. Read the scriptures. For those of you who are in the room saying, my passion's thin. I've, I've lost something. I've drifted away. The return to him is through his word. Return to his word. Read his word. Go back to the gospels. Fall in love again with Jesus Christ. Listen to him. Adore him. Even if it's a sacrifice of praise, offer a sacrifice of praise. 
when Kevin and these guys come up here in 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and when we sing these songs to God, even if it's a sacrifice, even if you don't feel it, it doesn't matter. Offer him a sacrifice of praise. Offer up your voice. See, he's the audience of one. He's the only really audience. These guys aren't singing to you. (laughs) They're singing to him. And we ought to. That's why we came to church, is to worship him. That's why we're here. Okay, let's look at this scripture. I'm going to go through this fast. There's five facts I want you to know from these six verses. And they all begin with he is, okay? So if you're taking notes, which is a really good thing to do, uh, I would suggest that you write these five down from these scriptures. In verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That is an enormous statement from Paul. He is the image of the invisible God. Talking to them about Jesus, he's saying he's not an angel. He is the image of the invisible God. The God of, uh, we know the revelation of God, he's the invisible. You can look in the sky, but you won't see him. He's an invisible God, but not Jesus. He is the living God. He is the image of the living God. He is, this is who he is. He's the firstborn, meaning he's not in chronology, but in authority. He's the firstborn. So what does that first verse mean? He's God. Paul sets it straight right away. He is God. He is the image of God. He is made as God. He is God. But he's human. Right. That's correct. Second verse. For by him all things were created, and in heaven and earth, invisible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, things were created through him and for him. It's kind of easy to conclude. What's Paul saying? He is creator. Jesus is creator. How could that be? We said Father is creator. Because they're one. They're one. There's only one God. Sure, God created the heavens and the earth. Jesus is God. There's a lot of Trinity in our study. There's a lot to come. But this is so significant. Jesus was there when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's Jesus, Father, and Spirit. The Spirit was hovering over the chaos of the earth. He's there. The Spirit was there. The hovering over the earth was the Spirit of God. And God spoke and said, let there be light. That was Jesus because he's the Word of God. When God speaks, it's his word and Jesus is the word of God. So don't go back here and go, well, back here we read about a God who's the Old Testament God. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus was the one talking with Abraham. Jesus is the one back there with Isaac. Jesus is the one who's feeding them in the wilderness. He's God. And yes, Jesus is that baby in the manger. Right. This is the greatest miracle that we believe in. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, right? And that he was God and he was God. Spurgeon calls him the infinite infant. Infinite, yet infant. It's the greatest of all the great mysteries is how could God become an embryo and then a baby? And a child like those beauties right there. But Jesus was just like that. Beautiful, little, gentle, precious. Yet he was God in the flesh. This was him. Next verse. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. The universe is full of mystery. How did it come to be? How does it stay in order? What's doing God is the sustainer of all things. That's what that says. He is the sustainer. He's before all things and he holds everything together. 
Why isn't the atom flying apart? We don't know. Atomic glue, Jesus. Why does the universe continue as it does? Jesus. How come the planets aren't crashing? How come the earth spins 365 times and goes around the sun in the same pattern? Jesus. What holds it in space? Jesus holds everything. The whole thing is him. He's revealed beautifully in the creation. The Irish used to say, there's two Bibles. There's the word of God and there's creation, which speaks all the time. Just look at the beauty of things and you'll go, how, how could this? It's him. He sustains everything. And he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. See, he's the head of our church. Oh, we got elders. Oh, we got pastors. You know, we got a bunch of guys that lead. The head of this church is Jesus Christ. The head of all church, every church, if it's a true church, is Jesus Christ. He is the head of the body. He works through the body. So when I see us sending, when I see us going to Indonesia, when I see us going to Mexico, when I see us going to Ghana, we are the body of Christ. We are Christ, little Christians, little Jesuses going. When I see us caring for the weak, when I see us feeding the hungry, it's Jesus. It's the greatest nation that's ever lived. The greatest people who have ever lived are Christians. They have done the most good in the world. I have studied all of world history. There's never been a people like us. And I'm proud to be part of it. I'm proud to be a servant as well. I'm proud to give to this and serve in this and live in this. And it's a joy as well as a real battle. This is warfare. This is a constant battle to be a Christian. Nobody called us into a picnic. 11 of the 12 disciples that Jesus called were murdered for their faith. And today, by the thousands, they're being murdered for their faith. An incidental proof of the reality of Jesus Christ is thousands of people every year are being murdered because they will not deny him. They will not deny him. Even with a gun to their head, they will say, Jesus is Lord. And that'll be their last word before they're killed. Because he is Lord. He is Lord. And he's convinced me. He is my Lord. He's my boss. He's, he's my king. He's my savior, my king. He is everything to me. I exist because he gives me this breath. I speak because he allows me to. I live because he lets me live. He gave me this life and he'll take it. When he's good and ready, I'm gone. Hallelujah. When I'm gone, celebrate. Hallelujah. I'm home and I'll see him face to face. And someday he's going to open my grave and out of the grave will come this, I don't know what it's going to look like, but right out of the grave. And if people are in the cemetery at that time, they're going to go, what was that? What was that? Because the graves are going to open up all over the place. And we will rise. Right? Hallelujah. Can you today sit here and say, he is my Lord. He is my Lord, my King. I live for him. For his purposes, I exist. That's what he calls us to. He is Lord. That's what verses 18 and 19 are all about. 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In him, Jesus Christ, man on the earth, dirty feet, hungry, thirsty, troubled, walking and, and carrying a message, pro pronouncing the kingdom. He is the fullness of God in flesh. He was God in flesh. And verse 20, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What was Jesus' mission? God was angry at mankind and rightfully so. We're a rebellious lot. Every one of us here is rebellious. Every one of us shakes our fist in God's face. We know his law and we defy it. We all lie. 
We all covet. We all do things we shouldn't do. We disobey him. And so God being perfectly holy is angry. And God is perfectly angry. He has perfect wrath at sin. He hates sin. And I sin. And you sin. But Jesus came to take the, the, the enemy, the enmity, the anger between God and man. And he came to reconcile us. He came to take his enemies and make them his friends. He came to substitute for their punishment. By his cross, he has reconciled all things. You see, that's my only hope. I haven't got a chance without the cross of Jesus Christ. I could never satisfy this perfectly holy God. Neither can you. No one can. We ought not try except to give him pleasure to try to obey his commandments because those that love Jesus obey his commandments. He said, if you love me, you'll obey me. So what do we see in that last thing? He's our savior. I mean, his name means save the people, right? Jesus, savior, Jehovah is savior. His name shall be Emmanuel, God with us. His name is Jesus, which means in Hebrew, our savior. Okay, what else did Paul say? Quickly, Paul said this to the, it's not just in one place that he saturates, to the church over here at Corinth. They needed to hear about this because they were hearing all this other stuff. Paul writes, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven, or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, 1 Corinthians 8, 5 through 6, one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. So Paul, knowing that the Corinthians were hearing about the plurality of all these different gods and all these different spirits and stuff like that writes and says, no, there is one. There is one. Look at this other scripture with me. Philippians 2. Philippians 2, writing to a church at Philippi, a Greek church, new believers, Paul trying to help them to understand the great divine nature that was in Jesus Christ. And then how should we live this out? We're coming out of paganism. How do we live this out? And he writes this. Have the attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing he grasped, but grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, these are kind of scriptures you guys need to have. Man, you need to go back to the clarity of these scriptures, the weightiness of these words. Because these things are saying, basically, either you believe he's Lord or you can't believe in him. He's not the Jesus on television you hear about that's here to give you your best life. He's not the Jesus that's going to heal all your problems. He's not the Jesus that's going to guarantee your wealth and health. That's not who this is. Jesus said, those who follow me will suffer persecution. Jesus guaranteed that in a world we're going to have trials and tribulations. These descriptions are the descriptions of those who met Christ and spoke of him through the Holy Spirit yet. Hebrews 1 through 4. The Jewish people were struggling. 
How do we, how do we reconcile all this revelation? He's given us the commandments. He's given us the prophets. He's given us all this history. And Paul writes as a Jew to them saying, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for our sins, the cross, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high and having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Okay. So there are places in the scriptures, you guys, that have to be places that you sit in and meditate on. Have you meditated recently about the person of Jesus Christ? Have you been thinking about him? Have you considered him? And have you thought lofty? Because if you're not thinking in a gigantically lofty way, you're pulling him down. If he's not everything, I'm not sure what he is to you. If he's not the Lord, creator, majestic, eternal, all-powerful God, what is he? The guy that rescued you from bad habits? The guy that, you know, you kind of know a little bit about? He's the king of glory. He's the eternal God. He's the infinite savior of the world. He's going to be the one you see face to face. See, Jehovah is Jesus. That's the next slide. I can't go over all these things with time, you know. But everything back here that was said about him, they begin to realize it was Jesus in the flesh. As Jesus leaves and he leaves them behind and they begin to go back and search the scriptures, they begin to go, oh my goodness, look at Isaiah. So Isaiah was talking about everything. It's Jesus here. It's Jesus here. Look at the Psalms. It's Jesus. Look back here. It's Jesus. Look back here. It's Jesus. You see, some of you guys are contemporary Christians and therefore you go, I read the New Testament because that's where it's all about Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus. The entire Bible is about him. It's God's story. It's his revelation. From the very first chapter, God promises. God reveals himself. He is the Lord. He is the everlasting king. And he is in the Old New Testament. That's why real Bible scholars, man, they can go back in there and unfold and unfold and unfold the beauty of Jesus Christ. The, the Jewish people came to the point where they were so, so recognizing the reverence and power and holiness of God, they wouldn't say his name. Who are you? Who should I say Moses says, who should I tell them that you are? Because God spoke to Moses face to face. Now that's freaky, right? That's got to be freaky. I mean, he's talking to Moses face to face. What is that like? And he, and Moses, he tells Moses, tell them that I am sent you. Oh, that does a lot of good. <laughs> so he goes and says, he has spoken to me and his name is I am. And because of sacredness, you avoid his name. You don't say his name. So they created Yahweh, Y-W-H-W, to, to avoid saying his name. Just like if Mr. Trump walked in, I would call him Mr. President out of respect for his name. I wouldn't say his name. I'd say Mr. President, his title. They called him Yahweh or Jehovah. Jesus was Jehovah. All this is about him. All these sacred things. So when Isaiah is writing and he's, and he's talking about Jehovah, Jesus fulfills it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, Isaiah was talking about the Savior. He was talking about Redeemer. And these are titles of Christ. 
These are the very titles that Jesus takes. In Isaiah 44, Jehovah says of himself, I am the first and the last. Jesus in Revelation says, I am the first and the last. The very same words. He identifies himself as God, Jehovah, I am, the Alpha and Omega, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Savior. Is this getting through? You see, okay, let's say you believe in like two separate things. Like you believe in the God of the Old Testament who spoke to Moses, who, you know, got him through the, the wilderness. You believe in the God of, who called Abraham. You believe in, you know, these things. And let's say you believe in Jesus. At least you have a mindset, an understanding of Jesus some. What you must do is this. You must go, same God. One and the same. In essence, exactly the same. Jesus, the one on the cross, is Jehovah. Now, what is the implications of that? What depth does that take you to in thought to think that the God who created everything from nothing and spoke the world into existence came and died on a cross and said, this is for all who will come. I will in no wise turn away anyone. Have you got that? Have you received that? Have you, have you dealt with that? Have, have you done business with that fact that the eternal, infinite, almighty God came as a servant, humbled himself to the lowest possible place to hang naked, butchered on a cross for you? And you're going to say no to him? Or you're going to try to do it yourself? Or you're going to reject him? There'll be no excuse in heaven. For those that are perishing, when they face God face to face, there's no excuse. There will be no excuse whatsoever. Because God has revealed himself. And God's in the business of revealing himself to everyone. Little by little, sometimes, or in big moments of incredible encounter, God's revealing himself. Jesus bears the names, as we've said. Now, the New Testament scriptures that bear witness to deity. You see, we read this book this summer. We being the guys of our church, about 100 of us went through this book called The Incomparable Christ. It's a book about there's no comparison. You cannot compare Jesus to anybody. His words, his silence, his life, what he did, the person of Christ, the fulfillment through him. There's one chapter that has an opening line that I just love this. This is Oswald Sanders. It says, if Jesus is not God, then there is no Christianity. And we who worship him are nothing more than idolaters. Conversely, if he is God, those who say he was merely a good man or even best of men are blasphemers. More serious still, if he is not God, then he is a blasphemer in the fullest sense of the word. If he is not God, he is not even good because it would make him a liar. Everything would be a complete lie. And as C.S. Lewis, the great scholar said, this is either Lord, lunatic, or liar. You believe one of those to be true. You think it's a fantasy. Perhaps you do. Or maybe you think he was nuts because I'm going to read to you things that he said. He, he's, he's, he may have been you know, deluded or something. Or he is who he says he is. 
The New Testament says about Jesus that he was the word of God made flesh. That the word became flesh. Thomas, when he finally sees the resurrected Christ, puts his hand in his side. And in the book in John 20, he records these words. He calls Jesus face to face. He says, you are my Lord and my God. I hope that, I hope those words can come out of you just as easy as they came out of Thomas. That you could say, my Lord and my God. I, I, I mean, that's what we're praying here. We're praying, I mean, that we are a people of God, that we're not just churchgoers, that we are his people, that we are his hands and his feet, that we are the children of the living God. The deity of Christ, see, it's, it's the biggest issue of all, the deity of Christ. The Bible ascribes the characteristics of deity to Jesus, right? He's described as being eternal. He, he declares himself eternal. He says, I'll be always with you, even to the end of time. How? How could you do that, Jesus? He, he's all-knowing. When men would think thoughts around him, he would point to them and speak to them, and he would know their thoughts. He, knows every, he knew everything, absolutely everything. He knows everything, right? He's omnipresent. He's going to be with us no matter where we go in the world. Jesus is with his people. He never forsakes his people. In any continent, on any land, in any place, at any time, Jesus is with them. How could that be except for he's God? Only God could be omnipresent. Only God could be all-knowing. Only God could be immutable, unchanging. He declares that about himself. These attributes are his while on earth. Right? What about his miracles? You see, there's such authority in Christ. Wherever he goes, there's nobody challenging him. There's nobody going, now, wait a minute, Jesus. Instead, his enemies are going, nobody ever taught like that. He teaches with authority we don't have. And when he calls demons out, they obey. And when he heals from a distance, somebody's servant that's sick, he heals them from a distance. He can heal across nations. You see, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, who could argue that this guy has supernatural power? People met Lazarus afterward and said, you're the dude, aren't you? He goes, yeah, I was dead for four days. But Jesus called me back. Called you back? Yeah, the grave's nothing to Christ. He burst it open, right? And he's going to burst ours open. We will rise again. We will be risen with Christ. We'll be with him. He is this God. He was this God. He's always been this God. He's always been this. What about, okay, they're in the boat. It's storming. The end of the world looks like it's happening. Jesus is sleeping. They wake him up. Lord, we're perishing. Stop. It's over. He commands the winds and the storms because he's the maker of the winds and the storms. He's the creator of the seas and the oceans and the skies and everything in the world. Of course he has authority over it because he's Lord. He's the creator and he upholds all things. He forgives sin. Listen to this sentence. This is a really important sentence. If you have tuned me out, try to dial me back in. Listen to this sentence. Jesus claimed to know him was to know God. Jesus said to see him was to see God. He said to receive him was to receive God. To believe in him was to believe in God. And to honor him was to honor God, while to hate him was to hate God. 
So Jesus partakes in the prerogatives of deity. He acts and talks and claims what only God could possibly claim. He prays in John 17 about his glory. And he says, Father, I want to return to the glory that we shared before the beginnings of the world. He rec it's recorded that he's praying, Father, when we return, returning to the glory that you and I had before it all started here on earth. He receives worship from people. Only God should return. I mean, the Jews were like, worship one God only. And he alone. Jesus is receiving worship. People worship him. When he was here and certainly beyond. He's prayed to, he's believed in and followed. He forgives sins. These are only things that God can do. Is he your God? Is he yours? Are you, are you loving him? Are you loving on him? Because he said to love the Lord your God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength is the greatest commandment I give you. That's what the Bible's for so much, you guys. If you feel like I've been married 42 years and I like Jackie a lot. <laughs> and I'm, I'm commanded to love her. And I do love her, you know. But there's times when love just doesn't feel great, you know, where love doesn't feel <gasps> wonderful. And because we're in relationship with God, relationship with God, we can also drift from that real connective relationship. Jesus brings us back. Reading his words brings us back. Praying, calling to him, admitting. Just admit where you're at with God. Be so honest with God. Be so honest with God. He loves you as a child if you're his. He loves you so much. I mean, I, my eyes get funny here because I think of it. How much does God love us? On our side, we got a puny little love. It's fickle and it's small and it changes and doggone it. There's days I ignore him. But on his side, it's perfect and unchanging and unconditional and it's continuous and it never stops. It never stops. How great the love of God is that he calls us his children and he puts upon us an unchanging love. Jesus said, it is said of Jesus, he never changes the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he loves us. If you reject him, you will perish. Simple. You'll be separated from this God forever. If you reject Jesus Christ, hear my voice. Hear me now, you will perish. You will be separated from our God forever. But he's the one from the cross that calls all to himself. And he invites you to come to him. Not to nod your head, but to get on your knees and worship him. Because he is God. The Old Testament was filled with prophecies. You guys know this if you've studied the scriptures. And as they went back to the scriptures, they began to see, oh my, oh my, oh my, it's him, Jesus. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. It was Jesus. We didn't know. We didn't know his name. He didn't have this name for us to call him Jesus. It was Jesus there. It was Jesus there. It was Jesus there. The Old Testament is so full of prophetic things about him. 
from all the things that he would do, that he would take a flight into Egypt, that he would have a Galilean ministry, that he would die on a cross, that he would be buried with the rich, that he would be hated and scorned, he would be betrayed by his friends. All these things were prophesied hundreds and hundreds of years ago, but the Jews couldn't see it. They couldn't see it because he had not come. He had not come to earth. And then in these short 33 years, he lived this perfect life and hung on that cross. And then they began to go, that's him, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. All that bloodletting, all that sacrifice, all that murder of animals. What was that? It's the butchered Savior on the cross. That's what it was. Jesus has become the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the more they looked back, the more they were like, oh, revelation, incredible revelation. And then the first century church, second century church, they said, what do we believe? What do we believe? This is what we believe. We believe these things. And on this, our eternity is based on. These are the rocks. These are the solid rocks of truth revealed by God through the scriptures that we might know him and we build our lives upon him. And Jesus Christ is the rock of our salvation. He is the only way to heaven. There is no other way to, to heaven. There's no other way to the Father except through Jesus Christ. God will not do more. He's done everything he possibly could to provide for us the gift of eternal life. I'm going to read one scripture to close, and it's a scripture out of John. And I want you to think with me. I want you to, I want you to use your imagination, okay? I want you to imagine that you're in the presence of this Galilean prophet. He's a regular guy. He looks like everybody else. But you've heard rumors about him, like reproducing food gigantically. You've heard rumors about him that he, he really has authority when he talks. When he talks, he says things that nobody else says. You've heard rumors about him that there's a dude walking around that was dead, but he raised him. You've heard rumors about him. And Jesus says these words, and I want you to think, what would you think when you hear these gospel words coming out of John chapter 5? He spoke this openly and publicly, and of course, for these words, they killed him. He said this in John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For the Father raises the dead and gives life to so also the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whatever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Um, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God 
and those who will hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. So he has, and as he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. And they're going to come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Jesus closes this and says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is our hope? You know, I've been part of the church now for over 30 years. What is our hope? Well, he is our hope, right? He is our our personal hope. We only have hope in Christ. In God, in the provision made by Christ, he is our only hope. We have no other chance of satisfying our God. What is our hope for CVC? What, What has God called us together to be? What does he want of us? He desires for us to fit here, to take the little gifts or the big gifts that he's given to us and use them for Jesus's glory. He desires us to come together and rub shoulders with each other and love each other (laughs) and care about each other and display to the world love that's rare and unique. He's called us to to resource together and gather together and, and plant other churches and reach out in missional works and love the, the hurting people of the world. He's called us literally to let himself live through us. Because like Paul came to realize, he said, I'm crucified. I don't live anymore. It's Christ who lives in me. You know what I love? I love when I see that in our midst here. I love when I see in our midst here people that it's obvious Jesus is living in their life. I love that. I absolutely love that. When I see that in Pete and Ann, I get so excited. It's a miracle, isn't it? (laughs) Absolute miracle. He is a miracle worker. Let's worship him.